Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan West, and I am... What's up, youth? How you doing? Um, I am the young adult pastor at the church. I feel so welcome. It's wonderful. I really appreciate it. Um, anyways, I'm the young adult pastor at our church. And you might be wondering uh, a couple things when you hear that title. is like, one, what do we do as young adults? And, and more importantly, I think some of you might be wondering if our church still considers you to be a young adult. Um, and so if that's you... I'll let you know what we what we do is anyone between the age of 18 to 35. For those of you that are on the line, I'm very sorry. Um, but from 18 to 35, what we try to do is capture one generation of people and try to collect them together so that way we can learn to live and share the gospel. Now, that's not just something that is, hey, if you're single, if you're in college, that's for any stage of life that you're at between those age groups. I understand that being a young adult means that you enter into one of the most transient stages of life that you'll ever face. You, you graduate from high school and then you're off to trade school or college and then every six months or so, it seems like something big is happening. You're changing dorms, you're changing roommates, you're changing houses, you're changing your class schedules. And then all of a sudden you leave that and you're thinking, maybe then I'll have some stability. Uh, but then, you, you know, maybe you're dating and then, oh no, you're not dating anymore. And that's really sad. And then you start dating again and you're happy again. And then maybe you get engaged and you get married then you change your career. Then you have kids. And oh my gosh, it's... It's just so transient. And so what we want to do is we want to be a place for anybody that's within that age group to, to be able to connect and learn to live and share the gospel. And so I would love to invite you to be a part of that. We end up meeting at a couple different places, um, but we have three main meeting areas, and that is one... And that is in the cafe upstairs. And in that cafe at 1045, we have a group that's meeting right now, actually. And uh, we also meet on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. That's an off-campus life group. We meet at someone's home. And uh, last week, we actually had 40 people at life group. Uh, and if it's, it was awesome. I mean, it was 40 people at life group. Um, but you can imagine that being at somebody's home, that, that causes problems. Uh, and so we're actually going to be planting another life group out of that. So we're growing and it's a great time for you to, to get engaged in, in what's going on because you will not be the only new face there. And our group is really excited about new people coming because we want to grow. We want to reach more people for the gospel so they can learn to live and share the gospel. Amen. All right. So I have a couple questions. Uh, one is, um, there's a kind of group of people that they're the kind of that like to get ahead. Okay. And so, uh, maybe, maybe you're watching a TV show and you realize that, um, that TV show was written off a book. And so you want to read the book prior to watching the TV show. Maybe movies come out and there, there's sequels and whatnot. And you're like, I need to read this before, before it comes out. Or, or maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I have some homework to do and I'd rather be ahead of my homework than just be right on schedule with my homework. Or, 
Or maybe, maybe you're like this and you're like, well, Rico preached on Genesis chapter 16, so I'm going to read ahead. Anyone like that in this room that, that are like get ahead types of people? All right, well, aside from the seven people that read ahead, you guys are going to, you're, you're in for a bit of a shock today. I'm just going to let you know, because we've read some really weird stuff in the Bible. I mean, we've already read about like a talking serpent. That was weird, right? There's a snake and it's talking, like what's going on there? Uh, it's odd. And then we start talking about the Nephilim, like, whoa. I mean, that was bizarre. That was a weird Sunday, wasn't it? Like, we're just all kind of like, I loved it. I thought it was great. That, that'll kind of lead you to where we're at today. But then we end up talking about a flood and a God that destroys the world. And then we talk about like all these weird things. And then all of a sudden we get to, to chapter 17. And, and, and now correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no one in here that's older than 99. Is there anybody? No. There's a couple people that are getting close, but no one there. All right. So this 99-year-old man meets with God. And he gets a command. And it's a weird one. And it's one that makes us feel awkward. And so a lot of times what we do is we just kind of gloss over it. But God meets with Abram at 99 years old and tells him, are you ready? To cut his foreskin off. What? That's weird. And surely you're thinking, well, Jordan, you know, you only get to preach once like a year or so. And so you're not going to go there today, are you? Yes. Yes, we are. We're going to go there today. We're going to be talking about circumcision. Now, why would we do that? Because that's so bizarre. Like, would you really want to, you know, you have one shot at this and... Randy surely is going to watch the video. And, and like, and we're going to talk about circumcision? Why? Well, it's because most of the Bible ends up referring back to circumcision as an anchor point, as an anchor point for understanding much of our theology and salvation. And so we gloss over this because it's awkward, and yet the Bible is hanging on to it as an anchor. And so I think it's really important for us to be able to unpack what's going on in this conversation and this covenant that happens in Genesis chapter 17. So yes, we are actually talking about circumcision today. Are you all ready? You know, last, last service, the, um, well, the awkwardness could be cut with a knife. And that's just funny for this conversation, <laughs> right? I mean, it, that's just funny. And so anyways, to, look, you already are warmed up a little bit more. It's okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to get through this together. But I promise you, when we read what's going on, we'll actually be able to apply a truth to our life. Now, for you men that just got really scared, don't worry. Don't worry. Circumcision is not required for salvation. Okay, so let me just go ahead and get that out of the way too. Please, if you have questions about that, do not come talk to me afterwards. That will be more awkward than what we've already done, okay? We do not want to have that kind of conversation, all right? Are you all ready? Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, so sorry, Abram, 
The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. Now, this is interesting. This is not the, the topic of our conversation today, but his name's changed from the exalted father to the father of nations. This is really awkward because his only son is an illegitimate son. And so now he is actually, his name has been changed to a promise that has not yet been fulfilled. It's pretty profound. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and their offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout this generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you must be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. That's really important. We're going we're gonna to reference back to this, but this is a sign of the covenant between God and humanity. He who is eight days old amongst you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would just speak to us today. And in spite of maybe some awkwardness, maybe in spite of, of a topic that we, we, don't, we don't talk about very often, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to whatever you have to say. God, I pray that we will respond accordingly to your word. And God, that we would seek to honor you with our lives. Lord, I pray that you would speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is something that we can learn from this? Uh, obviously, this is an interesting, uh, interesting section of Scripture. Well, the first thing that we, we want to learn is that, number one, God wants a relationship with humanity. He actually begins in Genesis chapter 17 and says, Abram, be blameless so I make a covenant with you. God desires a relationship with humanity. And this isn't the first time that we've even seen this in the Bible. We've been going through our study in Genesis, and we've actually already seen this happen two other times, and we will see it throughout the Old Testament two more times. So we see this, these covenants. This is what they are. The Adamic or the Edenic covenant, the Garden of Eden, this, this is what it says. He goes to Adam and Eve, and says, I will redeem humanity. 
The Noahic covenant, we just read about that a couple weeks ago. God actually sees Noah and says, I will not flood the earth and destroy it with water ever again. The Abrahamic covenant, which is what we're talking about today, is that you will have a son. You will be the father of nations, and from those nations you will be blessed, and you will have a land. Then we have the Mosaic covenant, which is with Moses, and it says that the nation of Israel would be treasured by God, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Okay, if they follow the word of God... They will be those things. And then we have the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is with King David and is that you would have an everlasting kingdom. So throughout the entire Old Testament, God desires to have a relationship with humanity. And he makes these five different covenants. Now it's important to understand here that in, in the Abrahamic covenant, we actually see a couple things. One is that you will have a son. Now, this commitment, if you continue reading in Genesis chapter 17, is this is that you will have a son through your wife, Sarai, and his name shall be Isaac. Okay, that's really important because already we've seen Abram struggle with weakness and forgetfulness of God's promise. We've already seen him struggle with weakness and forgetfulness of God's promise. So he says, you will have a son. But not only that, you will be the father of nations. Nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. And from your descendants, all people will be blessed. And you will have a land. Now, it's really cool because now with history and and standing on this side of history, we can see that not only did God make a promise to Abram, but he is a keeper of promises and he is faithful. Amen? We see that of all people, Israel is the only religious nation, a religious people group that has taken claim to a land for 3,000 years. They still hold claim to that land. We see that not only did Abram have a son, but Abraham's son Isaac then had many more sons and became the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, we have Jesus. And therefore, all people were blessed. God is the keeper of his promises. But even more so, there are three major religions in the world, okay? The first one would be Islam. Second is Judaism. And the third being Christianity, which is, by the way, this is an important idea that we're going to discuss today, is that Christianity is actually the fulfillment and the realization of Judaism. We are the Judeo-Christian faith. That's important. That's why we still hang on to the Old Testament. That's why we still read it, because we are the fulfillment. We live in that fulfillment of what was promised Okay, And so from Abram, he is the father of nations, and people were blessed from his descendants through Jesus Christ. But he's so forgetful, and he struggles. Now remember, all five covenants actually all point to Jesus. This is so cool. The redemption of humanity that was promised with Adam and Eve, who redeems humanity? Jesus does. The Noahic covenant, you might be like, well, that's just a rainbow. 
It's that I will not flood the earth again. But in the New Testament, it says if we deny that he flooded, we deny that he will come back in judgment. It's talking about the second coming of the Lord, of Jesus. Third, we see the Abrahamic covenant, and we see that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that covenant. Fourth, we see the Mosaic covenant, that the nations would be treasured by God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And then we have the great high priest come from that nation, Jesus. The Davidic covenant, how do you have an everlasting kingdom? Because David dies, so that's a problem. That's not everlasting. But then his descendant, Jesus, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to the scripture, and is now seated high in the heavens on the throne. Amen? So God is faithful to his promises. And we know that. We know that he is faithful up here. But yet, God also knows humanity's weakness and forgetfulness. First thing that we learned is that God longs for a relationship with humanity. The second thing is that God knows humanity's weakness and forgetfulness. Genesis 7, uh, 17, 9 through 11 says, And God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male... Among you must be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. The sign of the covenant, that's important. Why do we need signs? Because we're weak and we are forgetful. Well, throughout the whole Old Testament, we see these five different covenants. Did you know that each one of them came with a sign because he knows that humanity is weak and we forget? And so God, out of his grace and his love, this is what he's done. He says, I will redeem the world. He says this to Adam and Eve. And in their shame and in their, in their, in their grief and in their sin, he makes the first sacrifice. And he clothes them with the skin of the sacrifice, clothing them with a symbol of righteousness to remind them that one day he will redeem all creation. With Noah, he gave the rainbow. Every time it rains, can you imagine? I mean, we talk about PTSD now. Can you imagine what it would be like to know that the entire world was deluged with with water? Every time it rains, the reaction. And yet you see the rainbow. I I can trust God for his promise. With Abraham, we see circumcision. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. With Moses, We see the Ark of the Covenant. If you obey my laws, you will be my people. So he gave them this Ark that they were to carry around. And inside of the Ark was the Ten Commandments. And on top of it was the mercy seat. So it's that, hey, this is the law and mercy all built in one, that I will be your God, you will be my people. It's a reminder because they were so forgetful and they failed so many times. With David, we see the temple Now, we know David sinned, and so therefore, the temple wasn't built under David's rule, but it was built under Solomon's rule. But it was that God's presence has now made himself home here on earth. God's presence has. Each time, there's a sign that directly correlates with the covenant that was being made. Get that. A sign that's directly correlated with the covenant that's being made. 
So why is circumcision the sign of the covenant? Because that, that's kind of weird. I, 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 in my mind, I would have I picked something else. <laughs> Again, you're talking about a 99-year-old man who was told to circumcise himself. Wow. I would, I would imagine like, you know, in my mind, I would say, hey, we want to have a sign of the covenant, something that sets you apart. So why don't we do this? You're going to get an earring. <laughs> yes, Lord, I will obey. Right? You get an earring. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's a, a tattoo. Like, I don't know, like something that people can see. Because, I mean, if it's a sign of the covenant, I want to be like very open about the covenant, right? And like, you know circumcision that's kind of a private thing right i hope and so anyways we we say like well maybe maybe it would be that we could let's be a little more violent maybe we cut off like a pinky right i mean some people like grimace but there's a 99 year old man who's circumcising himself now i i don't know i think the 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 pinky might be easier right or maybe we just remove like our, our fingernails Everyone's kind of grimacing. Well, we have to understand that in this culture, circumcision is not normal, right? Like this isn't something that's like, oh yeah, we'll do that. This is, this is going to cause some awkward conversations. I don't know how he tells his wife, but that must have been fun. So why does God actually command Abram, who's now named Abraham, to circumcise himself? It correlates with the covenant. Remember, the covenant is this. It's that you will have a child. You will be the father of nations. And from your descendants, all people will be blessed. So here's the symbolism of, of circumcision. One is, it's the shedding of old ways or the shedding of things that are deemed unnecessary. Okay? Number two, it's consecration. It's being set apart for one purpose. It's sanctification. It's being set apart from other nations, right? Again, this is not a normal practice, so this would be something that would set them apart. It's signing with blood, and it's accountability. Now, again, how is this accountability? Because this is something that, that is particularly private in nature. Well, let's think about this. As a male in the Jewish faith or a descendant from Abraham and in his household, I am called, hypothetically, I would be called to be a blessing to all people and I would be called to be blameless and be called to be fruitful and multiply because we're going to have a bunch of people come from the line of Abraham. And so by being circumcised, what I would have done and what the Jewish men and what the descendants of Abraham would have done is saying, I am under accountability. And there's no way for a Jewish man to procreate. There's no way for a Jewish man to lead his household. There's no way for a Jewish man to enter into marriage and the oneness that that causes. There is no way to do that without discussing something. I have made a covenant with God. 
And for me and my household, we will be a blessing to all nations. And for me and my household, we will walk blameless before the Lord. That's, it, it seems so bizarre for us to connect that, but, but that's, if you look at the Jewish tradition, that's what they believe. It's like, this is the commitment of every male to be the spiritual head of the household and to ensure that them and their descendants walk according to the Lord and according to the covenant and in light of the covenant. That's why in verse 14, it says that if you are not circumcised, then you are cut off from the promise and you are no longer part of it. Why? Because they are refusing the sign of the covenant. They are refusing the accountability and they are allowing a place of temptation to enter into their lives where they say, I could have a family and not discuss the covenant that I've made with God. And God knows that humanity is weak and forgetful. So he gave them a sign. And if you live according to the sign, you will remember. So what, what, what do we do with that? Great, we know what the, the covenant was. We know, hey, we're not gonna try to walk blameless without accountability and a sign. That's, that's a bad idea. But what do we do? Like, we already know that, that circumcision's not required for salvation, praise the Lord. But what we learn is that God wants a relationship with you and he knows your weakness. God wants a relationship with you and he knows your weakness. That might not sound profound because we said, well, God knows humanity and he wants the relationship with humanity and knows the weakness of humanity But so many times we try to disassociate with the cross. And if God died for the whole earth, then that makes it less personal. And my shame, my sin, and my suffering, that's not why Christ died. He died for everybody's sin. So what we try to do is this. I want a relationship with God, and, and God wants a relationship with me, so this is a pretty good agreement. But instead, instead of just coming to God and accepting what he's done, what I do is I kind of cower away just like Adam and Eve in my shame and my sin. I retreat a little bit more. And what I hope is maybe I can set some time aside from me and my sin. Maybe some good works. Maybe I'll show up to church. Maybe I'll read the Bible like three times this week. And in that, I can kind of clean myself up and make myself feel better about myself and where I am so that way I can walk forward and approach God. So I clean myself up to approach God. But see, salvation was never from works. It has always been God's work 
and he has given us a sign to remember. Salvation was never from works, not one time. So every time that I feel like I can enter into a relationship with God because I clean myself up, I I am doing the wrong thing. I will never earn salvation that way. If you feel like you've done everything that you can to have a relationship with God and you have still fallen short, if you feel like you've done all the right things and lined up your life just right and you're like, I can't quite make it. I just feel so far from God. You know why? Because your salvation is never from works. It will never earn you salvation. It will never, ever, ever clean your heart. Never. And this isn't a new idea. This is one that has been throughout the whole scripture. Romans 2 says this of of, of circumcision and, and, and Judaism. It says this in Romans 2, 28 through 29, for no one is a Jew who merely is one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And Romans 4, we read this a couple weeks ago with Randy, but Romans 4, 23 through 25 says this, but the, the words, it was counted to him, this is talking about Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for the trespasses and raised for our justification. There's something that has to happen on the inside. And these signs that we've been given, it's because we're so weak that we can't even realize the spiritual thing that is happening without something physical to actually hold on to. And the things that are moving in the spiritual world, I am so quick to forget. And God wants a relationship with you. And he knows your weakness. So we have these five Old Testament covenants. These five things that happen, but yet now we have a New Testament, right? There's more to the story. All of those Old Testament covenants point to a person, Jesus Christ. And it points to a new covenant. This is what it says in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the Mosaic covenant that he's talking about that that was broken. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. This is the covenant that God has made with humanity. This is the covenant that God has made with you. And this is what he says at the Last Supper. He sits down with his disciples, breaking the bread and taking of the wine. He says, this wine, 
This is the blood of the new covenant. And through Jesus Christ, your iniquity will be remembered no more. This is the blood of every single one at the table would have known exactly what that meant. This is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. It says this, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so many times what you and I do, we've counted on these signs, we've counted on maybe these things that we've done, our morals, to bring us salvation. Maybe we're relying on a baptism when we were a kid, or when you were Maybe you are Maybe you're relying on the fact That you've been to church since you were born Maybe you're relying on the fact That your father or your grandfather Was a preacher The Bible says All who call upon the name of the Lord Shall be saved And that, that's more than just knowing that he's God Because the Bible says that Even the demons believe And they shudder the Bible says that it's not just about doing life things for God and, and saying my life is in service to the Lord. That, that's controversial. This is offensive. Because the Bible says that you can do all these things that Jesus, I do it for your name. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, it says that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, look at all the work that I did for you. Look how I even cast out demons in your name. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Some of us have even counted on us doing good work. Some of us are counting us on doing service. Some of us are counting on the fact that we pray to prayer. And the Bible says, no, it is when you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord then? It means that you actually say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life, and I surrender unto you. No longer do I want to live in my ways. No longer do I want to, to hold my values. No longer do I value the opinions of people around me. I value you, your word, your truth, and I surrender to it. Amen. And then you will be saved. But only then. So we have this idea that we can have salvation and yet we're so forgetful. And he thought that was challenging. This is even more challenging. I've wrestled with this. I, it burdens my heart at a level I don't even understand. 
Philippians 1 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. You know why Paul is confident of that? Because of their partnership with the ministry. And statistically, 95 to 98% of people who claim to know Jesus Christ as their savior will never share the gospel with anybody, not even once. I have questions. Are, Are we just, do we not believe? Have we not actually called upon the name of the Lord? Or are we just living in rebellion because remember, this all connects back. This, we live in the fulfillment. So if, if, if the Abrahamic covenant tells us that his descendants will be a blessing to all people, and then we see that in Romans, that, that the Christian faith is grafted into that promise, that means you and I ought to be the carriers of the promise and carriers of the blessing and carriers of the gospel and ministers of reconciliation between God and man throughout the whole earth. We ought to be a kingdom of priests to God and many of us never even share the gospel once we need a reminder because we are so weak we are so weak and so forgetful so what has God done to give you a reminder he's giving you two things one is is the Lord's Supper every time that you come together as a church you take of his bread and your wine you say Lord I know that I have committed my life to you and I am a carrier of this promise the second thing is baptism why do we baptize people it's because Romans 6 says this what shall we say then Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too must walk in newness of life. That's why we believe we should be totally immersed. We, we go completely in the water and come out. Why? Because my life should be completely in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I stand up, I walk in newness of life. When I call upon the name of the Lord, my old ways are gone. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And now the life I live is for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I need to be reminded of that. I need to have that accountability because I'm so forgetful. And so I know there's like this whole thing about preaching to the choir and then there's this whole thing about like preaching to the church to come to the church. Like I get that. But why do we come to the church? Why do we gather here? It's because Hebrews 10 tells us this. We ought not neglect to gather together as some of us have, but instead meet together on a regular basis so that way we can spur one another on to good works. Meet together with other believers so you can remind each other that we are saved in the name of Jesus Christ and we ought to live like it. Why do we come together and sing and worship? Because Colossians 3 tells us that when we sing, we teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gladness and thanksgiving in our heart so that everything we do, whether it's in word or deed, is glorifying to God. We come together so that way we live out the promise. We live out the covenant that God has made with us. Amen? Amen. We have to be careful. 
because our hyperfixation on moralistic living, what I mean by moralistic living, just doing good, is the same heart of relying on circumcision for salvation. It's the same. What do, you, what do I mean? Well, you know what we tell people when they say, man, my life is, uh, it's really in a mess. We're like, well, you got to clean up your life. We need to start coming to church. Clean up, come to church, get clean. This is what Galatians says. Galatians 5, 7 through 12 says, you were running well. So who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I brother still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would just go ahead and emasculate themselves. They said, hey, if you're counting on circumcision to save you, you might as well chop the whole thing off. That sounds offensive. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said it. Paul said it. I'm just quoting scripture. All right? Now listen. And when we do, we offend the cross. Because it is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that I am saved. It's not by coming to church. We come to church as a sign, as, a, as an accountability. You inviting your friends to come to church is a great thing. You ought to do it. But that is not what saves them. It is only Jesus Christ who saves people. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. This is how it happens. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. And you who are dead and your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us along with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus Christ has provided our salvation. If we believe that this is the continuation. If Jesus Christ is the new covenant, if we believe that, then we ought to live in light of what Jesus has done. We ought to be a blessing to other people. So here, here, here's what we do. This is a whole lot of ideas. This culminates. This is how we apply it. One, do not rely on signs to save you. Do not rely on signs to save you. Signs of the covenant won't save you. The covenant will. So baptism, good works, all those things, the fruit, of, like all of that, if you're just relying on that moralistic living, it will not save you. Amen. Jesus Christ will save you. Amen. Don't rely on signs. And if maybe you have, and that's all you've ever done, but you've never called upon the name of the Lord and surrendered your life, I challenge you to do it today. Today is the day of salvation, Amen. says the Lord. So go leave here once we finish. Go through these double. You can go before we finish. I don't care. Go. This is important. All right? Go through these doors. Go to that connection. There's somebody there wants to speak with you. Why? Because this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right? If you have not called upon the name of the Lord, do it today. Maybe you have. Maybe you have. But just like... In Genesis 17, 14, those who refuse to be circumcised are going to be cut off. Why? Because we're so forgetful. Maybe you have been saved, but you've not actually become a part of our church or been baptized. 
Man, you really need to pray about that. You can also go through those double doors and be baptized. Why? Because we are weak and forgetful and we need accountability. I need accountability in my life to live this out. You need it. And we want to come alongside as one people group to serve the Lord. Amen? We want to love, encourage, and guard one another. So go through there. Let's get you baptized. Be a part of it. Have the sign of the covenant so you can always look back. I was baptized on this date. I know that I am made new. Every time you doubt, I have this confidence because I have this sign. We need something physical to connect with the spiritual reality. And the Lord gave it to us. Praise God. Amen? Lastly is this. You need to walk in newness of life. If you've done those things... Walk in newness of life. Be a blessing to all people around you. Carry the gospel, the good news, and share it. 95 to 98% of us will never do it. Walk in newness of life. Because when we share the gospels, people's lives are changed forever. Do you believe that? Then walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much because you have done an amazing work. God, we just praise you. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you for your cross. We praise you for your death, your burial, and resurrection. Lord, I pray that we walk in newness of life. Give us strength, oh God, to be your church, to be your people. Lord, we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.